Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Medical School HQ Podcast, session number 108. Hello and welcome back to the Medical School Headquarters podcast, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. If you haven't done so yet, go to freemcatgift.com and download our 30-plus page report with tips and tricks all about the MCAT. It also includes some discount codes for MCAT prep as well. Go to freemcatgift.com and download that free report today. Now today I have a very interesting guest, somebody that emailed me thanking the podcast and thanking Allison and myself for what we provide on the show. And he gave a little bit of his backstory, and I immediately turned around and emailed him back and said, I want you to be on the podcast because your story is what we need to share. And so Ryan is the guest's name today, as, as my name is, so it might get a little confusing, but Ryan is a pre-med student who now has an acceptance to medical school. And his path was filled with a lot of speed bumps. Speed bumps that if you went onto certain websites and said, here is my history, the majority of people out there would say, don't bother applying to medical school because there's no way an admissions committee member or an admissions committee will look at your application and accept you because you have too many red flags. But luckily, Ryan had great pre-med advising from somebody he was doing research with who really didn't know his backstory of some alcohol issues and some other stuff and kind of was surprised when she found out about it, which you'll hear in the interview, and kind of took him under her wing, it sounds like, and guided him and and really showed him what he needed to do. And, And obviously, he turned it around and was able to get that acceptance to medical school. So. 
if you are on your journey and you have what you think are some red flags in your past, take a listen to this interview, figure out what you can do similar to what Ryan did to help you overcome those red flags and show and prove to the admissions committee members that you belong in that medical school. Let's hear from Ryan. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So I want to talk about how we were first introduced. You sent an email or a comment, basically, a contact information through our website, basically thanking us for the podcast and the encouragement we gave you because your path to medical school, and and you have an acceptance now to medical school, was a little bit... I wouldn't say non-traditional, but you had a lot of speed bumps in the way that a lot of people would probably say, you're not going to be able to get into medical school with your record. Very large speed bumps, yes. Yeah, so I want to talk about that because I think your path and others listening to your path are going to get a lot of encouragement that you got from listening to other people. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that I think is so cool about the podcast, so absolutely. All right, why don't we talk about where you did your undergrad and if you were pre-med the whole time. Yeah, I was definitely not pre-med. I actually did my undergrad at the University of Wisconsin at Oshkosh. I originally, believe it or not, only came to college to play football. So I played football for two seasons and then ended up joining the military. Uh, So I left school for a little bit. Then when I came back, I was a kinesiology major. That's when I really got interested in biology was originally actually planning to go to grad school. So I applied to neuroscience programs, was going to go to the University of Wisconsin for their neuroscience training program. And that's actually when I jumped ship and really headed into medicine. So I actually didn't declare, I shouldn't say I declared a pre-med, but I didn't actually decide to be pre-med until my last semester of college. So I was a pretty late bloomer. And how old were you at that point? Would have been 23. Okay. So you are a very non-traditional student in all sense of the word. Absolutely. <laughs> What'd you do in the military? So infantrymen. So I actually joined the National Guard. So I took one semester off of school to go to infantry training. Then I went to airborne school and then came back to school. And right now I'm in a unit about 45 minutes away from me. So you're still in the Guard? Yes. Awesome. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about your path, once you said, wow, I want to be pre-med, what, what made you decide that? Sure. Yeah. And, and that kind of uh, dovetails very nicely with some of the other things that were going on in my life. And when I was getting into all this trouble prior to my deciding to go into pre-med, really when I um, was kind of became more of a faith-based person and was really involved with my church and, and really kind of turned my life over to a higher power, that's really when I started to become more altruistic, I guess you could say. And so one of my goals and the reason why I actually went into medicine was I wanted to be able to tangibly impact people's lives. And so that was kind of what predicated my path, my switch from going to grad school into actually going into medicine. So you can, and we talk about this a lot, you can tangibly affect people's lives in a lot of things, right? Why medicine? Obviously, with a kinesiology background, that kind of dovetails nicely into medicine. But what specifically about medicine? Did you have any exposures to healthcare as a kid or in this time period? Sure. You know, not as much. I, I'm, 
and I know this is as um, cliche as it can possibly get, but I would, like I said, I was originally interested in more of the grad school basic sciences route. So I, I absolutely love science. I do enjoy reading the primary literature. I enjoy the scientific process. What was missing when I was interested in that, when I was doing lab work, what was missing from the science arena was really that chance to interact with patients and the chance to interact with human beings and more tangibly impact their lives. And I realized that science Science certainly impacts people's lives and everything that we do in medicine, you know, necessarily derives from the basic sciences. But I really miss the I want to I miss the opportunity to really meet somebody at their, you know, their point of most need and help them that day over the course of a year or whatever and impact their lives in that way. Okay, that makes sense. So as a kinesiology major and wanting to go and get your master's and do some graduate level stuff. You obviously had a lot of those prereqs for medical school under your belt. What were those first steps that you took that you were like, okay, I want to go to medical school. What do I do now? Yeah, sure. And actually, um, and I don't think this is a coincidence at all, throughout my kinesiology major and then switching to cell and molecular biology, which I was taking a course to go to grad school, I did. I had all the prereqs, you know, from anatomy, physiology, calculus, everything that I would need to apply to medical school. And so really the first thing that I, that I knew I had to do when I was applying to medical school is study for the MCAT. I had a lot of baggage. Like I said, I got into a lot of trouble in my undergrad. And so I, I knew that to get consideration from an admissions committee that I was going to have to be better than somebody else in my situation. So I knew I had to kill the MCAT. I knew I had to get excellent grades, had to get some excellent letters. And so I came into my pre-med path knowing that I had to, to really ace those parts of the application. All right, before we get into your past that you've mentioned a couple times now, what did you do to prepare for the MCAT knowing that you had to crush it? Sure. I think I got the Kaplan books. I started out, got, got five of the Kaplan books. I used a couple other ones, but really, the and I think I kind of stepped into actually one of the pitfalls that you talk about a lot on the podcast. This was before I discovered your podcast here. And I spent a lot of time looking at the calculations and in the physics and OCHEM were probably my two toughest subjects. So I spent a lot of time learning those. Like I said, I spent a lot of time learning the math and really I just learned the content. My plan was to learn the content first and then jump into the practice tests. But as I think you've mentioned a few times, my advice for students that are studying for the MCAT now is to not spend time with the calculations because when you actually take the MCAT, you will have no time to work through those problems. And mm -hmm. I think it's unfortunate that some of the books really emphasize the, the calculations and how to actually work through the problems when that's not comparable to what you're going to be doing on the test. Yeah. They wouldn't have anything to sell, though, if they didn't teach you the content that's, in the books. <laughs> that's very true. That's very true. And another comment about that, too, is, is again, for students that are listening to this, is the Tests that are sold on the AMCAS website, I found to be not very useful. All of them, I think, were much easier than the actual exam itself, whereas the, the Princeton Review practice tests were much harder than the actual exam. So I don't know where to find a happy medium, but I wouldn't spend my money on the AMCAS practice tests again. Yeah. The double AMC ones, you mean? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I, think, I think the Princeton Review ones... 
and the Kaplan ones, they obviously want you to have that sense of getting a huge gain once you take the real test. So they're going to probably tend to be harder. And so when you go and take the real one, you're like, wow, I crushed that. Thank you, Princeton Review, or thank you, Kaplan. (laughs) Yeah, so I think it's, I would recommend doing as many as you can, because that's where you learn how to take the test. Even with the new 2015 MCAT, it's going to be the same. It's going to be how well you can take a test with some extra content in there. All right, so how well did you do on the test? I didn't do as well as I thought I was going to do. Again, like I said, the practice tests I took were much easier, but I got a 33, so... It wasn't going to hold me back, certainly, in any application. That'll open up a lot of doors. That's great. (laughs) All right. Now, let's go back and talk about why, in your mind, you had to crush the MCAT, why you thought or you knew there were some red flags in your application. What happened in your past that would raise some red flags on an application? Sure. So, like I said before, I really came to college to play football, and so Along with the football team, there was a lot of drinking, a lot of partying. In my first semester of college, um, excuse me, yes, it was my first semester, I got kicked out of my dorm, got into a lot of drinking tickets, um, some vandalism, jumping in elevators and whatnot. We ended up breaking an elevator. So I got kicked out of my dorm, all sorts of different things that, of course, look terrible from a pre-med standpoint. And so that kind of carried on through about my first two and a half years of college between you know other drinking tickets, bar fights. As I mentioned before, I got a DUI. So huge issues from an admissions committee who's looking to find sensible, altruistic people when you see a student making very selfish, very stupid mistakes like that. And so I'm and, like, and kind of ongoing mistakes, it sounds like from absolutely from it. All right. So a history of these bad decisions, we'll say. But a lot of people would say college kids being college kids. The DUI maybe steps that up a little bit. What advice did you get or did you seek out any advice about what to do with that for your applications and moving forward? Sure. So I actually, again, I don't think this was a coincidence at all, but I worked in the lab of the professor who was the pre-med advisor for our school. So had a huge resource right there. We are not only have a great professional relationship, but she's also a very good friend. And so when I when I decided to go into medicine and I, and I initially talked to her, I kind of divulged all this information and, and she was really blown away. She had no idea any of this had went on before we met. And so really the biggest piece of advice I got is you have to be just brutally honest. You have to make sure that you're not withholding anything throughout the application process because that is going to dispel absolute doom for your application. So I really definitely took that to heart. And beyond that, beyond just being honest with what had happened, you have to be very honest and very forthcoming with what changed. And so that's something that I think that I did very well throughout the interview process and throughout my application materials. And I think... That's awesome advice. Did she at any point doubt your ability to get into medical school because of your history? Absolutely not. She had worked with me prior. I worked extremely hard in her lab. We ended up getting some very good results. She knew me fairly well as a person. And and again, as I said before, uh, we are very good friends. She, again, knew who I am since we have met. And so she was very surprised when she found out about all these other things. But she definitely never doubted that I'd be able to do it. Okay, awesome. So I think there was some bias there on her part because she knew you as the new Ryan, the new and improved Ryan. But an admissions committee 
is going to see everything all at once. They're going to see new and improved Ryan and lots of alcohol incidents Ryan at the same time. How did you go about with your applications and with your personal statement to lay all that out for them? I actually uh, chose not to address it in my personal statement. And I don't know if that reflected poorly on me for particular schools or not. I actually chose to address it in the secondary applications. So that's when I really laid it out and explained how the change took place. I think one of the other big things that played an enormous role for me was my letters of recommendation. I think I had excellent letters. The authors of my letters, I developed very good, um, again, both personal and professional relationships with. And so I think they felt very comfortable writing um, very good recommendations for me getting to school. But I really think that's what clinched it for me, honestly. Did, with your letters of recommendation, do you know specifically if your letter writers talked about the fact that they knew about this past with you and that they know you now and you're professional and you've overcome those? I don't. Okay. Oh, sorry, you cut out there for a second. I did not, though. Um, I have no idea, to be completely honest. Okay. Yeah. And so if you're listening to this, as a applicant, you are not allowed to know or read what goes into a personal statement. But I was just wondering, maybe they mentioned, I. by the way, Ryan, I did talk about your past or whatever. So you don't know. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So I want to go back to the application. You didn't write about it in your personal statement. What part of the application, for those that don't know what's involved with the applications, is there a section in there where you talk about a DUI and other issues? There is a section in the primary application where you address incidents with the school. So incidents that are on your school record, if there was any academic issues, if where you were on probation, or if there was any issues in the residence hall, like there was for me. And so I initially addressed the things that went on in my school in that section of the application. I wrote a brief blurb about it in there. There's a section also that has you address if you have any misdemeanors or felonies, which I do not. So I just answered those questions no and talked about those in the secondary applications. Okay, so you had a DUI. How did you get out of a misdemeanor or felony there? Well, Wisconsin's actually, uh, I think, probably the only state in the U.S. that doesn't. The first DUI is not criminal. And so I think that really partly saved me there as well. All right. You hear that? All you high school students go to Wisconsin for undergrad. Yes. It's uh, looking back now and some of the, the, um, obviously, the enormous health consequences that result from people driving drunk, I don't know if that's quite the right policy, but in my particular case, it worked out well for me. Wow. Okay. So you got, maybe I would dare say you got a little lucky there. Yes. <laughs> okay. So I'm interested now, did you talk about a DUI at any point? Yes. Secondary applications is really where I addressed those kind of things. Usually in the secondary application, they'll give you another opportunity to address any sort of issues or basically kind of free write whatever you want to talk about. And so I certainly made sure that I addressed kind of those all those issues in total in my secondary application. Okay. Now let's talk about, before you, you get some interview requests and stuff, I'm sure you went online and you were Googling DUI in medical school. Yes. What did you find and what were you thinking when you saw what people will say in forums and other resources online? <laughs> Don't waste your time is pretty much the overarching message. 
some of the they, a lot of them didn't address DUI specifically. A lot of them would just address um, criminal records or otherwise. And really, what the general consensus was is if there is an ongoing record of poor decisions or ongoing record of, of reckless behavior, that that's going to be nearly impossible for an admissions committee to look past. And so that it was. There was times that I certainly considered kind of scrapping the process, obviously, which was pretty heart wrenching because this was my dream, but. I decided to keep pushing forward and it paid off. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, so applications, you applied to medical school. How many applications did you submit? How many interviews did you get? I submitted probably 16 MD applications and another 12 DO applications. And I think I got interview requests for, well, they're they're not all back yet, but I probably got four MD applications interview requests so far and probably six deal interview requests. Awesome. Good job. What was your undergrad GPA, by the way? I didn't ask that. About 3.9 something, pretty close to 4.0. So rockstar grades, great MCAT. So really, if I'm glancing and and ranking you just from your MCAT and your GPA, you're going to be high up on my list. You didn't talk about any of your issues in your personal statement. So when I glance over that as an admissions committee member, I'm not seeing any of those red flags. But you do talk about it in your secondaries. So if an admissions committee is going to look at your secondaries before offering interviews, then that's where they may put you in the no interview pile. But sure. you're, you obviously got at least 10 interviews or so, right? Sure. Yep. How many interviews have you been on so far? I have went to four total, and I think that's all I'm going to go to. I'm pretty burnt out at this point, and I think <laughs> with the admission to Penn State, I only have to really go to the schools that I want to go to more than Penn State, and so that narrows yeah. the list significantly. But burnt out and broke, probably, with how expensive yes. the process oh, my is. Goodness. I got married this summer, and yeah, the cash situation is not awesome, but <laughs> well, we're doing fine. We're doing fine. Good. That's awesome. Let's talk about what came up during your interviews with your record. Yeah, absolutely. So certainly, obviously, the interviewers always addressed it. I think just about every interview interviewer, even in schools where I had more than one, they all brought it up. One interviewer actually said to me, I, I can't believe you got an interview. <laughs> so <laughs> that was interesting. I ended up getting into that school too, though. So that, that's good. But yeah, so they definitely always asked it. I think the most interesting one I got out of there was where the interviewer himself said, well, there, there's a lot here. How do you want me to represent you to the admissions committee? And I think really what they want to hear, what they need to hear to be able to give you consideration while looking at that stack of bad decisions is what changed. And so I really focused my answer for those questions on how am I different now and why am I different now than I was before? I think it helped that I haven't gotten any tickets or anything probably in the last couple of years. And so I think the time distance between my last infraction certainly helped as well. Yeah. So you've been able to separate yourself from your bad behavior in the past, which definitely helps. How did you prepare to answer those questions? Did you go through some mock interviewing with anybody? No, I actually did not. Basically, what I did, and this might not be the advised method for all students, but For that particular question, because it it was something that I knew I had to answer very well, and it was something that I wanted to make sure that I addressed all of the points that I wanted to address, I actually just typed it out. I typed out the entire thing and then kind of practiced 
giving it or giving the presentation extemporaneously. So I was able to sound like it wasn't rehearsed. So again, I'm not sure that would work for all students, but that definitely worked for me. And I think that I, it comes off much better when you have a difficult answer to give like that, to practice it again and again, and to actually have it written out ahead of time. Yeah. I like how you said that you practice it and almost memorize it, but you want to come off like it's not rehearsed. That's a big part of it. Absolutely. So what were some of the key things that you wanted to bring up to the admissions committee during the interview when they're asking you, why did you do this? What have you learned? What were some of those key things that you were able to bring up? I think not giving excuses for why it happened, but providing a little context. Again, I think I talked a little bit about coming to the school, being involved with the football team and and some of the things that came along with that involvement. Again, making sure that you don't come off like you're giving an excuse, but providing some context. Then kind of moving forward, again, when you talk about the changed, I talked about my spiritual experience and how the priorities of your life really change when it basically gave control of my life over to a higher being than myself and how moving forward, I demonstrated that change. And so I think that's really important for them to see afterwards how you demonstrated that you moved from position A to position B. And I kind of addressed some specifics. For instance, afterwards, I was involved with the campus Christian group. I initiated a a resume outreach to a local homeless shelter where we help homeless gentlemen write resumes. Things like that, I think, were good for the admissions committee to see changing from more of a selfish person to somebody who's more altruistic and wants to affect people in their daily work. Awesome. It sounds like you you hit all of the key things. I, I think really the biggest thing there, and you've mentioned it a couple of times, is just own it. You did it, you've learned from it, and don't make any excuses for it. Absolutely. And I think how you phrase that is very important. I think almost using, you know, using the word mistakes is you don't want to make it seem like it was accidental. You want to, you want to, like you said, own it and, you know, make sure that you know that you were, you're very much responsible for what you have done, but afterwards you changed. Awesome. How have you changed and how have you kind of spread this message of, hey, look at me. I had this pretty rough past, but I've got into medical school. Have you been helping others on the path besides this interview, obviously? Not enough, no. And I'm actually in a a unique position to do so with this next application cycle. I'm a chief scribe of a medical scribe program at a hospital. So we have, you know, probably 13, 14 different scribes that I manage, probably about half of which are going to medical school. So definitely in this upcoming spring, that's something that I I certainly want to put myself out there as somebody who's been through these application process before this enormously convoluted application process (laughs) and can give some advice from that. And along with that advice, you're obviously telling them to listen to this podcast. Yes, I do. Honestly, that's one of the first things I tell them because there's so much more information here than I could possibly give them. Definitely addresses some of the intricacies of the process that you just wouldn't know otherwise. And so absolutely, this podcast has been an awesome resource for me. So I definitely tell other people about it. (laughs) That's great. You mentioned convoluted process and that's a great word to describe it. What has been the most convoluted part for you that you could tell somebody listening that's going to apply next year or in the future? I think the least understandable part is just doing the primary application. It's not necessarily the most difficult part, but it's the part that you kind of don't understand a lot of what they're actually asking for. So 
for instance, putting in the classes, how exactly you put in different types of classes. If you're like me and you've had military experiences, you've had AP credits, you've had all these different experiences that could potentially count towards your, you know, AMCAS GPA or not. That's something that that's kind of hard to work out with and something that definitely takes a little bit of coaching, whether from somebody that's done it before or from certainly the website as well. So I found the AMCAS application to be very not enjoyable. Did you like the DO application better or was it just different and convoluted in its own way? It was almost exactly the same, actually. If you do the AMCAS application, the DO application is a lot of cut and paste. And so I found that to be fairly simple as far as just moving from the AMCAS to the DO application. Good. Okay. So Ryan, before we wrap up, what advice would you have for a pre-med student beginning their journey? Uh, Now that you have your application or your acceptance to Penn State, congratulations on that. Thank you. Now that you have that acceptance in your hand and that kind of burden is off your shoulders, what do you have to recommend to a pre-med student just starting? I think one of my big advantages moving into the pre-med world is that I never really went through my college experience as a pre-med. And and because of that, I kind of just did what I loved. And for instance, I wanted to, I love football. I started out playing football. Well, then I moved into joining the infantry as a National Guardsman. And so I had military experience. Then I moved into lab work because I really wanted to go into grad school. And so I had all these different experiences that I never really tried to tailor to actually being a pre-med. And I think that actually really helped me. I had a broad base of experiences um, and not necessarily the traditional pre-med experiences. And I think that I really turned that into an asset in my application process. So For people coming into the process, I would just say, do what you're really passionate about, but make sure you do it very well so you can get those good, excuse me, letters of recommendation that are people that are willing to write about your passion and write about your dedication to whatever you do. I also think just starting early, the MCAT, I studied for the MCAT for probably nine months. Again, I knew I had to do well. And so I think that just starting early enough to give yourself that time to do something very well. Same thing with the personal statement. I probably spent two and a half months running my personal statement. Not that I was constantly working on it, but I wrote a draft. I'd let it sit for a week, come back to it, go over it again, let it sit for a couple of weeks. And that's really how you perfect something. And so I really think that getting those things just enough time to do is really helpful. Also, go along that path, I would just say getting the questions for the secondary applications in your hand from Student Doctor Net is actually really, really helpful. And starting those essays early is certainly something that I would do. That's one of the advantages of the Student Doctor Network. That's again, so I'll just use that resource as well. Yeah, that's about the only time I recommend that website is to go get the secondary yeah. application questions. Yeah, and I, I didn't even know that existed actually until I listened to this podcast. So and listen to Ryan Gray's podcast because <laughs> it has great information. I would have never known that those essay questions were on Student Doctor Net if I hadn't listened. So it's definitely a great resource as well. Awesome. So I think I love a lot of those points starting early with the secondaries or with the the secondary essay, starting early with your personal statement and kind of setting it aside and kind of getting fresh eyes after a couple of weeks. Those are all great pieces of advice. Nine months for the MCAT's a long time. I'm surprised uh, that uh, you did that long. That was, uh, that's awesome. One of the funny things you said was the fact that you weren't pre-med and you think that helped you. And that's funny because that came up a couple weeks ago with an interview back in session 103. 
which you can find at medicalschoolhq.net slash 103. And that's with Shay. She kind of did the same thing. She went through her whole whole undergrad, and then it was like, oh, I want to be pre-med. And then so it just kind of switched, and so she was able to use all of her past experiences, but wasn't under that pressure of being pre-med the whole time. So I wonder if there's there really is something to this, the fact that don't be pre-med, but be pre-med. Sure. I think that being different really, and applications will even communicate this to you, whether directly or indirectly, they'll say that really the applicant that's often selected for admission is the one that shows how they're different or what they can actually add to a class. And many times the secondary applications, one of their questions will be, what unique talents, abilities, experiences do you bring to this class? And I think if you're able to communicate that from your past experiences, from a diversity of past experiences, that's really, really helpful. Yep. That's a big question that most schools will ask either on a secondary application or in an interview. They'll ask that. So it's good. All right, Ryan, thank you for joining us today. I'm glad that you have your acceptance letter. I'm glad that you were able to push off all of those naysayers and that said, oh, you have alcohol problems or you had a DUI, there's no way you're going to get into medical school. I'm glad you pushed through that and have shown that you're able to overcome that stuff because I think a lot of people are in a similar situation where, where they run into these problems that, again, quote unquote, typical college issues and we're able to overcome them and, and now uh, you're proof that you can get into medical school and overcome that. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Again, that was Ryan. Congratulations to him for his acceptance to Penn State. And he's really, he has some more interviews lined up. And if he gets an interview for another school that he might want to go to more than Penn State, then he'll go on those. But it's awesome that he has at least that one acceptance under his belt. And I think it's awesome that he was able to overcome everything and still show to the admissions committee members and prove to them, look, this is how I screwed up and he owned it. This is how I screwed up, but this is what I did to make up for that and to prove that I am better than I used to be. So that's awesome. Hopefully you learned a lot from that. If you did learn a lot, if you liked what you learned today or heard today, and you haven't yet, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes, where you can leave us a rating and review. If you don't listen in iTunes, that's okay. You can still leave us a rating and review there. That's where the majority of podcast listeners come from. That's why I talk about iTunes a lot. Ratings and reviews help us tremendously in there. We don't have any new five-star ratings and reviews to mention today or this week. So maybe that's a hint that uh, if you've been on the fence, Go do it, medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes. Go check out Pre-Med Life magazine, our partner magazine. They recently redid session 19 that we had where we interviewed Dr. Wagner from the University of Colorado Medical School all about the medical school interview. She was the dean of admissions at three different medical schools, and she took a lot of time to talk to us about the medical school interview and pre-med life magazine took that interview and turned it into an article for their most recent issue. So that's a, a great article. Go read that and go learn again from that and in a little bit of a different format. 
If you have any questions for us, you can email me. I am Ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. You can say hello to me on Twitter. I am twitter.com slash medicalschoolhq. As always, I hope you learned a lot in today's podcast, and I hope you join us next time here at the Medical School Headquarters. (laughs) 